Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church family, I just pray that your shoulders are feeling lighter because they are in the yoke of the one who created the heavens and the earth, our King Jesus. Welcome to the gathering of the redeemed here at Windsor Road Christian Church. And it is a joy to be worshiping together with you in the house of the Lord today. My name is Randy, and um, it's just my joy to be the senior minister here at the church. And uh, we very quickly want you to feel welcome and at home in the church gathering today. I'll be in a place called the Fireside Room. It's through the glass doors and to the right. And I would just love nothing more than to, Sarah and I would love to spend some time with you and meet with you and pray with you. Our elders and other staff will be present there as well. And if you have any encouragements, we want to hear about it. If you have any prayer requests, we want to hear about it. We want to hear about what's on your heart uh, today here at Windsor Road. And if you have requests and encouragements, please let us know what those are on cards or on the app there. Uh, we pray over your requests and encouragements every Tuesday morning at our uh, staff meeting at 8.30. And uh, we want to do that again on this coming Tuesday. So... We're celebrating two holidays today. We're celebrating it. I haven't uh, been a long time since uh, I've thought two holidays on one day, but we are, you know. It's June 19th, Juneteenth, which is a, a celebration of, uh, it's the oldest celebration of emancipation in our country's history. It's a very significant holiday. And uh, all across the nation, there'll be a celebration of uh, emancipation of slavery in our country's history. Juneteenth. We're also celebrating Father's Day. Father's Day. So here you have themes of freedom and fatherhood. And today's message, today's message deals with freedom and fatherhood, both themes. So I would invite you to take your Bibles and meet me in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I'm going to be reading from the parable of uh, the prodigal son. That's how it is subtitled in most of our Bibles. I'm going to read verses 20 to 32 of Luke chapter 15. And then I'm going to read Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Luke 15, 20 to 32. And then Luke chapter 6. Verse 36. And I want to put a tag on this message. The tag on this message is the Father's reckless, raging mercy. Will you say that with me? The Father's reckless, raging mercy. Amen. This, now, here's where we're going with this passage. I'm going to read the passage. And, and we're going to learn what this passage says about God, our Father. Who He is. And then we're going to learn about who we need to be based on who He is. 
and then we'll talk about what that looks like. All right? Amen? Amen. All right. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Felt compassion. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Well, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. So in his book, Being Dad, Father as a Picture of God's Grace, the author, his name is uh, Scott Keith, wrote that when things are basically good between a father and his children, Everything else in that child's life will basically be good too. When there's no battle to be fought between father and children, the children receive a wonderful and freeing gift 
gifts. Gifts of grace, gifts of peace, gifts of freedom. God shows us a glimpse of who he is when he gives the gift of a good earthly father. I wonder what you think about that. I, I think he's on to something. You see, God created human fathers with the ability to generate. To, so, to be a father is to be someone who generates, to be someone who produces. But a father's power to produce goes beyond the biological conception of the child. His is the power to produce or generate character, to produce or generate integrity, to produce or generate wisdom. His is the word power, the word power to speak words, words to encourage, words to give life to the weary child. The power is the power to empower family flourishing. The power of fatherhood in God's economy, in God's economy, is the power to help others flourish. Real power is always looking for ways to generate the flourishing of others. In God's economy. At times, exercising power in God's economy will look wildly foolish in the world's economy. Take the father of our parable, for example. From the world's point of view, he looks like an utter failure. I mean, the older son, oh, he's dutiful on the outside, but on the inside, he's boiling. And the younger son, he's just out of control. And what in the world convinced this father to divide his estate? And literally, the word is life. He divided his life. And keep in mind the kind of economy in the first century. Not like he could go down to the ATM and withdraw half of what was ever in the whole estate. We're talking about livestock and property, and it's complicated. But what in the world convinced this dad to divide his life to give in to the child's demands? And they weren't requests, mind you. Give me. Give me. Did he just wear the old man down? I mean, was it so tense at home that this was the only solution? <laughs> I mean, you can only imagine how things were leading up to this. Didn't seem like a very happy home. Both, both sons, both sons were rebellious. Would this father qualify as an elder at Windsor Road Christian Church? 
Paul said to Timothy, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's household? You see what I'm saying? I mean, everything the father did in the parable went against the culture's norms. And, 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 and you're not looking at a, at a stoic father impervious to loss here. I mean, you're seeing a dad who makes himself vulnerable to the greatest loss of all, the loss of a child. I mean, what, what is money compared to that? So he releases this fool with his inheritance to the unforgiving gravity of the far-off country. But, but, but the father's heart is not calloused. I mean, it is broken. And every day he looks off to the horizon for the return of his son. And when he's in the field at work, he glances up for signs. It's, I mean, it's like checking and rechecking his email again and again and again for any word. And at night, there on the porch, just before he turns in, just before he opens the door, just before he goes inside, he turns back to see if there's any sign of his son. That's what we're looking at here. And then one day, did you see verse 20? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt splanknon. There's that word I taught you. Splanknon. He felt compassion. It's our word for spleen. His father spleened for him. He felt compassion for him. And he did what no, no father would do in that worldly economy. He ran. Old men don't run. Old men have others run for them. This old man ran. Why? Because his son had come home and there was a party and there were shoes and there was a new wardrobe and there was a ring and, and so in the world's economy this father would be gossiped uh, about as weak and shameful uh, who throws a party for a prodigal who does that and that's what the elder brother wanted to know and he refused to come into the banquet, which embarrassed the father in front of the guests in that honor and shame culture, you, you see? So the father had to come out to him. Second time, the father had to go out. You see that? Well, what do we make of all of this? Aren't you glad that God operates on his own economy and not the world's? That's the only way the boys can come home. You know, the only reason why both sons can be home is the father. I mean, when the younger son hits rock bottom, he doesn't think of home. He thinks of father. His father. Verse 17, how many of my father's hired servants? Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. The son didn't return home. He returned to his father. He returned to what the late Christian songwriter Rich Mullins calls the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. A passionate love, a patient love, a long-suffering love, a merciful love. <laughs> this is not a children's story with a tidy ending. 
This is a gritty parable of the God whose love surpasses all human expectations. Nobody in this parable gets what they deserve because God's mercy isn't dependent on what I do. God's mercy is dependent on who God is. Both boys, both boys approach the father on the world's economy. I'll pay you back, said the one. I'll just be a servant. That's my narrative. And the other son, seething at the father's generosity, accused him of not being fair. You never even gave me a goat. You owe me. But God is no debtor. He's merciful. And the one son was enslaved to his debt. He needs mercy. The other son was enslaved to his bitterness. He needs mercy. Both needed emancipation and only mercy can affect emancipation mercy james tells us triumphs over judgment and why here's why hear me it always takes more strength to set someone free than to keep someone in chains and i submit to you that true masculinity true masculinity is a masculinity that affects emancipation through grace. A truly masculine man is both grace and freedom to those he encounters. So, so this is no children's tale. This parable is an invitation to another reality. Jesus is inviting us into the cathedral, the sanctuary of what is really real. It's an invitation to experience God's economy of extravagant mercy. And all, all throughout Luke's gospel, this is not just one episode. The theme of extravagance permeates Luke's gospel. For instance, the woman in Luke 7 who anointed Jesus and wept over his feet. Extravagant worship. The Samaritan in Luke 10, who gave extravagant comfort to a national enemy. Like Zacchaeus in Luke 19, who offered extravagant repentance. Like the triumphal entry in Luke 19, where the people threw their cloaks on the ground before Jesus through their cloaks so they didn't go to the trunk of their car and pull out the old blanket they threw off their suits threw it in the ground before jesus so that this this donkey's foe could walk over it such was the king extravagance and god's reckless extravagant Mercy brought the two sons together here. And they're two very different sons who represent two very different people groups. you got to go back up to verses 1 and 2 to tell us why this parable was even told. This was the third of three parables. It's this emphasis on lostness. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we're talking two very different groups of people. 
scribes and Pharisees, tax collectors and sinners. Sounds a lot like elder brothers. Sounds a lot like younger brothers. Jesus brings them both together to the table brought by a meal of extravagant mercy. Can you taste and see that the Lord is good? And some of us here know what it's like to be an elder brother. Some of us have lived a life of, of scribes and Pharisees. Now, that's me. That's me. I like to be right. Wow, it's just a great hit. I like to be right. Some of us have been to the far country. But elder brother, younger brother, we both need mercy. And only mercy can bring us to the table. But, but let me just say this. Now that we know who God is. Who is God? He, your, your Father in heaven is merciful. That's who God is. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. Let's not just stop there though. Because I said we were going to talk about who we need to be based on who God is. And that's why I shared with you that passage in Luke 6.36. Jesus says... To us, you be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. So, so the, the goal of the parable is to move us closer to the Father. The goal of coming home to God is becoming like God. Because God, our Father, is merciful, we must be merciful. We must be merciful. And so, while this parable is open-ended at the end of chapter 15 in my sanctified imagination I wonder what the next morning was like after the party don't you well consider this and the older son embraced his father and entered the house and was reconciled to his brother and to his father and the father celebrated together with his two sons. And the next morning, after the celebration was complete, after the fattened calf was enjoyed, after the wine had flowed, after the guests had gone, and after the house was cleaned, the next morning the father invited his two sons to his table. And he said to both, I am so glad both of you are home. I love you both. You are my sons. You always will be. You are heirs of this estate. I am always with you, and all that I have is yours. We are family. You will never go without shoes. You will wear robes and rings because I want you to rest securely, knowing that I am with you. I will never leave you. I want your spirit to be filled with my love. Now then, I want you both to, in, to join me in the work of this estate. This estate is meant to be a blessing to our community. And I want both of you to represent me. I want your lives to be such that when others see you, they say, I know his father. I want you to think how I think. Speak how I speak. Act how I act. I don't want you to do this to get my love, but because you've already got my love. 
I don't want you to think that your efforts or works earn my favor. Instead, I want you to know and feel my favor supplying and fueling and resourcing your efforts. My resources have given you all that you need for life and responsibilities as sons in this estate. Now will you join me? And so captivated by the father's love, the son said, yes, father, yes. And they serve to this day. And the estate is called church. Now, I believe that's the parable's destination. You see, Luke 15 is more than just assurance of acceptance. It is a summons to ministry. And what is our ministry? It is a ministry of becoming. Our ministry is to become more and more like our Father. Uh, Henri Nouwen has uh, given us a very, very helpful study of this parable called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Nouwen says, but what of the Father? Why pay so much attention to the sons when it is the father who is in the center and when it is the father with whom we are to identify? Why talk so much about being like the sons when the real question is, are you interested in being like the father? And some, somehow it feels so good to say, well, you know, these sons are like me. It gives a sense of being understood. But how does it feel to say the father is like me? This parable is more than a call to return it's a call to become it it means not only returning to receive forgiveness but becoming someone who forgives it means not just returning to a joyful homecoming but becoming one who welcomes others home it means not only returning to a compassionate embrace but being someone who compassionately embraces others uh, too often too often oh i'm going to preach now <laughs> let me say this with a smile too often we walk out of church thinking how good and loving and caring it is of God to accept me as I am. <laughs> and we just feel comfortable cooing in the baby crib of God's estate, sucking on spiritual pacifiers. Feeling understood, but never being challenged to grow. It is time to grow. Amen. It's time to become like the Father time to get out of the crib and start standing and walking and assuming the responsibilities of spiritual fatherhood. And I'm not the first preacher to say this. 2,000 years ago, you know the letter of Hebrews it was originally a sermon. And the preacher of Hebrews in Hebrews 5, 12, just puts it plain. You have been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others coming home to God means becoming like God oh if only the meaning of this story were that people sin but God forgives I could easily begin to think of my sins as a fine occasion for God to show me his forgiveness there's no challenge in that interpretation 
I, you know, I could just resign myself to my weaknesses and keep hoping that eventually God would just close his eyes to them and let me come home, whatever I did. And that is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Cheap grace, he says, is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without the requiring of repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus. Luke 15, 31, the Father says, everything I have is yours. So if that is true, then that means I am an heir. I am a successor. Well, what exactly is the succession? Shouldn't it be to step into the role of spiritual parenthood and begin offering what I have been offered? Or am I content to enjoy the goodies without the responsibilities? Those of us who have been home with God for some time now, are we becoming like our Father? Has His life become our life? Yes, God found me. He found me to change me. He found me to change me to make me more and more like Him. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Well, what does that look like? That's our third question, isn't it? What would it look like to become more and more like the Father? What does it mean to be like the Father? Well, first, it means reminding yourself and others who He says we are. Who He says we are. Verse 31, and he said to him, literally, my child, my child, that's God's story about you. That's God's story about you. I'm a child of God. What, what story do you tell yourself about yourself? You talk to yourself all day long. You know that, don't you? You're the most influential person in your life because you talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you all day long talking to yourself. You're talking to yourself right now. I'm talking to myself right now while I'm talking to you. That's how wonderful God has made our brains. <laughs> so, so what story do you tell yourself? Marketers sell stories to clients, prospects, bosses, suppliers, partners, voters. What story do you tell yourself about yourself? Do you have an elevator pitch? That reminds you that you're, that you're you know, a struggling fraud, certain to be caught, destined to fail. One that reinforces a guilty conscience. Some of us tell ourselves stories that, leads, that lead to conclusions like, well, I can't, or the other shoe's going to drop, or I never get a break, or you wouldn't do any better if you've been through what I've been through, or you can't expect much from me, or I'm a victim, or if it wasn't for blank, I would have done better. When you talk to yourself, what do you say? Both sons, listen, both sons came in from the field and both sons sought to return to their father according to their stories. But the father refused to let them live by their story. The father was not looking for a lost servant. He was looking for a lost son. And so becoming like the father means agreeing with the father's story. And here's your story. Here's your story. Write this down. 
Galatians 4, 6. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's God's story about us. Can I hear someone say amen? Amen. That's his story. And it's no self-help story. It's a trust Christ story. That's what it is. It's choosing by faith to believe that what God says about me is truer than what I think about me. Whose story do you hear? Being like the Father, secondly, means waiting patiently for others to return. It is not lost on me that some of us here have prodigals in our life. Prodigal child, prodigal husband, prodigal wife, prodigal parent. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just leave the light on. Because you can't fix it. Not yours to fix. And when you try to, it got worse. Because you then enabled your prodigal doing for them what only they need to do. Only what they should do. It's your job to leave the light on. And to wait patiently and prayerfully for their return. And it's so hard. Because you may or may not know where they are. And you sure don't know if they're going to return or not. And you know what? Some don't. But you wait and you pray and you leave the light on. That is being like the Father. And then thirdly, being like the Father means being prodigal with forgiveness. You see, that word prodigal doesn't mean uh, sinful. The word prodigal itself means recklessly spendthrift. It it means to spend until you have nothing left. So we need to forgive in a prodigal way. Yes, yes we do. And, and, And it's also not lost on me that Father's Day can be difficult for those of us who either did not have fathers or whose fathers failed us or abused us. But I've been given wisdom by the late E.K. Bailey who said, be careful who you hate. Life has a way of making you look like what you hate. An immigrant rabbi after World War II once made this astonishing statement. He said, before coming to America, I had to forgive Adolf Hitler because I did not want to bring Hitler inside me to my new country. So forgiveness is refusing to hurt the one who hurt you. It's refusing to hate the one who hurt you. It's refusing to bear a grudge. It's it's to stop wishing for revenge or to stop wanting to see the other person suffer in some way. Forgiveness is not blind. 
And forgiveness can't happen until you have fully felt the pain they caused you. And this notion of forgive and forget, let me, look, when trust has been violated, you cannot just forget what happened or else the same thing might happen again. Uh, there's a saying that unless we remember history, we'll be condemned to repeat it. So, so let's face it, you forgive a person who has betrayed your trust, your trust in that person has been crushed, which creates a new relationship, a newness. And, and so trust can be repaired by time through a gradual process of rebuilding. You, you have to get to know the new person in the new relationship all over again, you see? When, when you are hurt or offended, there's really one of two responses. One is make them pay, stick it to them. The other is you pay, you hurt, you absorb, and you forgive. And that's what the father did. The father forgives. The father forgives his sons at great cost to himself becoming like the Father. Become, and then fourthly, becoming like the Father means sharing my life with the overlooked. Overlooked. Go back up to verse 1. Tax collectors and sinners. These were the overlooked. These were the people of ill repute. These were the undesirables. And Jesus was comfortable with them. He made friends with those the world had forgotten. And that's what he wants us to do. He generously shared his life and blessed those at whom the world would cringe. And you, you know why the tax collectors and sinners, why we need to go after the tax collectors and sinners? Well, let me ask it this way. Were you a likely candidate for salvation? And yet didn't God save you? And haven't you seen other impossible brothers and sisters delivered likewise by the incredible, reckless grace of the Father's mercy? Do you realize from where you came? You were in the grip of hell. Demons had wrapped their chains around you. The God of this world had blinded your understanding. And yet God struck off your chains. And the face of Christ beamed the lost around us are no more lost than we were lost. And their chains no thicker and their darkness no deeper. Nor is the power of Christ to save them one bit less. So be like your father. Becoming like God is nothing less than becoming like Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul, Paul preached this sermon 2,000 years ago when he said to the Ephesians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And some of you may say, well, pastor, where's Christ in this parable? Oh, I'm glad you asked. He's in the party. And he's in the death of the fattened calf. You see, that calf killed for the party is actually a Christ figure in the parable. Huh. Well, Christ is all over the parable. He told the parable. He's everything in the parable. 
You know what a fattened calf does? A fattened calf stands in its stall with one purpose in life, to drop dead at a moment's notice so that people can have a party. That's it. Now, if that doesn't sound like the lamb slain from the foundation of the world who dies in Jesus and in all of our deaths and who comes finally to the supper of the lamb as the masterpiece of his own wedding party, I don't know what does. The fattened calf proclaims that the party is what the Father's house is all about, so come to the party. Yeah, Jesus is everywhere here. He's everywhere. He's the younger brother without being the rebel. He's the elder brother without being resentful. He obeys his father, yet that doesn't mean he's a slave. He does all his father tells him to do, and he remains free. He gives it all. He has it all. The Son of God became flesh so that every lost child could come to him and become like his father. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful.